For a number of years, I was under, uh, I held to a false belief. There was something that I thought that turns out was wrong. I like to blame this false belief on the fact that I used to be an engineer and that generally speaking, I have uh, almost zero style, taste, or appreciation for aesthetic beauty. The false belief was this, that interior design, you know, the kind of the look and the feel of a room and the people who do such things was a waste of time and money. This was the false belief. I thought, hey look, pick out whatever furniture you like. Put it wherever you feel like. Take your little color squares and pick whichever color you want and use the room, uh, paint the room that color, fine. Whatever makes you happy, just do it. Don't spend all this time and money and effort trying to design a room. Now by God's grace, he used, and this is kind of a strange name from the Bible, Bezalel type figures. Now Bezalel was the guy who was responsible for designing and building the tabernacle. And in the book of Exodus, God says that the spirit came upon Bezalel who was an artisan and he used his gifts and abilities to design something both beautiful and functional, very powerful. And God has used Bezalels, if you will, from this church, people like Christine and Laureen and Katie and Annette and Cindy and Nikki and Carol and Midge and others whom he has made very clear. He has gifted with the ability to design a room in a beautiful and powerful way. And of course, many, many others as well. So this week, I've been thinking about interior design. You may ask yourself, why were you thinking about interior design with regards to the sermon? I'll tell you in just a minute. But I was thinking about interior design and I came across a website, interiorinfo.com, and they listed 16 reasons why interior design or the sort of design of a space, its look and feel, why this is so important. I picked out four of the most interesting of those 16 reasons, and here they are. Number one, why is interior design so important? It makes everything work in unison. Apparently, you're not just supposed to pick out whatever couch or whatever chair, or whatever color, or whatever wallpaper, or whatever carpet or whatever you want, that you can actually cause things to work together in unison so that when someone walks into a room, they feel the beauty of unity. Second, interior design creates a room that fits the occupant's lifestyle. It reflects the person who's going to be spending time in the room, whether at school or at work or at home or at church, wherever that may be. Number three, makes spaces beautiful and welcoming. This is the goal, so that when you walk into a space, you feel welcome. And then fourth, and this is their words, turns your home into heaven. That's a direct quote from that website. 
Now, their idea was not so much about literal heaven, but they're talking about the fact that it makes your home kind of feel like a heavenly abode. Now, why was I thinking about this? Oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you. I forgot this in the last service. The final quote at the end of the article says this. In the end, it's all about your appreciation of beauty and what you want to create in your area that makes you happy. In this manner, interior designers and good interior design help you achieve or meet your expectations efficiently. Now, why are we talking about interior design as we begin this sermon? Well, we're studying together as a church the book of Revelation. And one of the really cool things about the book of Revelation is that it, God invites us into his home, heaven. And that more than any other book of the Bible, we get specific chapters where God pulls back the curtain and welcomes us into his house. And we get to see where he lives. Chapter 4 of Revelation, chapter 5 of Revelation, chapter 7 of Revelation, and more reveal to us something about where God lives. And so the question is, if interior design is a God-given blessing, which it is, and if God then is the best interior designer, which he is, this begs the question, how does God decorate his home? What does God do to design the look and feel of heaven? And what can we learn about God from recognizing how he designs the space in which he dwells? Of course, God dwells everywhere, but heaven is especially his home. And so this morning, I'd like to take a little bit of an interior design tour of heaven and see how God, the great interior designer, decorates the space in which he lives. I'd like to invite you to come on the tour with me by taking a Bible and turning to the book of Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, if you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 995. Revelation chapter 8, pages 995, page 995. Now, to this point, we've seen a couple of different glimpses into heaven, and we've seen some of the things that God uses to decorate the space he lives in. We saw colors like emerald and ruby and diamond. We saw a glassy sea that is calm and at peace. We see especially in heaven that there are people worshiping God, that heaven is filled with the praises God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But in Revelation 8, we come across a unique aspect of the decoration of heaven, how God has designed heaven. And I know Jim read the verses for us earlier, but let's read them again, beginning in verse 2. And I saw the seven angels 
who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now often when we think about interior design, we think about the things that you see. But of course, it's a holistic experience. It's not just the things you see, but also what you hear in a room or what you smell in a room. And here in heaven, we find that there is a key component to the decoration or the decor of heaven. And it's described as incense. Incense is a fragrant aroma. If you've ever been in a Roman Catholic church, or an Eastern Orthodox church, you may be familiar with a censer. This is an image of a censer. A censer is something you burn incense in. So the word censer in our passage is the angel has a censer, something perhaps like this. And in Roman Catholic churches or in Eastern Orthodox churches, when you go in, they are literally burning frank incense, frankincense in the censer. And so when you go in, there's a very distinct smell, and it is a pleasant aroma. And what this passage in Revelation 8 says is that God has filled heaven with the sweet aroma of incense. But not literally frankincense. Like there's no sticks of frankincense burning in heaven. It's filled with incense, but the incense is a metaphor or an image for something else. And that thing, that chief decorative thing that God uses to fill heaven is prayer. Now in our passage, it's not immediately clear that the incense is prayer. It sounds like when you read our passage that there is incense and it's mixed together with prayer. But if you'll turn back just a chapter or two to Revelation 5 and look with me at verse 8, in one of our previous glimpses of heaven, we read this. And when he, that's Jesus, had taken it, that's Daniel's scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Psalm 141 says something very similar. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me, hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like, what? Incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So in Revelation 8, we're not actually talking about frankincense burning in a censer. 
We're talking about the fact that God has chosen to decorate heaven primarily with our prayers, the prayers of his people. That this is the sweet aroma filling heaven. That there are bowls and bowls and bowls full of the prayers of God's people. Now, if this is what the master interior decorator has chosen to decorate heaven with, well, this tells us something about him. It tells us something about prayer and helps us understand what it is that God wants from us. So let's go back to that list of why interior design and think this through with regard to prayer. The first reason given by this just secular website was it makes everything work together in unison. Why would God decorate heaven with prayer? Because prayer does the exact same thing. What prayer does is it brings our will into unity with God's will and causes our wills to work together in unison. When you come into God's presence with your prayers, sometimes God hears what you want or what I want, what you will or what I will, and he accedes to our wills and says, yes, I will be glad to do that. And his will then comes in harmony and unison with our will. Often when we come into God's presence, we come to understand what his will is And even if we're asking for something, he says, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm doing this. And he asks us to submit to his will. And in the end, we have unison again. Our will submitted to God's will. This is what prayer does. And the reason God decorates heaven with prayer is God loves unity. And prayer brings about everything working together in heaven and on earth in unison. That's why if there's something that you don't understand currently going on in the world today, if there's something that you're struggling with in your own life, if there's something you're trying to figure out what in the world is going on, if there's something in which you feel disconnected from God, the invitation is come and pray. Come into God's house because in God's house, everything works together in unison and our will and God's will are brought together and either God does what we're asking him to do or God asks us to submit his will, our will to his so that all things work together in unison. The second reason why interior design is so important is it creates a room that fits the occupant's lifestyle. So why would God choose to decorate heaven with our prayers? Because God's lifestyle is that he loves to save. He loves to rescue. He loves to be merciful. God loves answering prayer. The reason why heaven is decorated with prayer is the same reason if you walk into a classroom, a teacher will usually put up works from their students, whether previous students or current students. Teachers love to teach. They love when students learn, and so they want to decorate their room with the learning of their students. It's the same reason if you walk into an architect's studio, you will see pictures of previous buildings or houses that architect has designed. Architects love designing things. And so they fill the room with pictures of what they've designed. 
God loves answering prayer. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. And so he fills the space with prayer because he loves being around prayer. Prayer is a sweet aroma to God. Sometimes we think that God is like that friend that we text who seems to ignore us and we get the feeling that we might be bugging them with our text. That is not how God feels about prayer. God is that friend who is anxiously holding his phone, waiting for you to call because he can't, he, he can't do anything except wants to talk to you. That he's longing to engage with you. God loves answering prayer and he decorates heaven with prayer because this is what he does. He spends his time answering prayers. It's not a nuisance to him. It's not an annoyance to him. It's what he's decorated his house with because that's his lifestyle. His lifestyle is a God who saves, a God who rescues, a God who loves, a God who shows mercy, a God who listens. Third, interior design makes spaces beautiful and welcoming. When I was younger, my older sister, Kathy, loved camels. She decorated her room with camels and everybody sort of knew that Kathy loved camels. And so often friends or people who were coming over who wanted to buy her a present uh, or give her a gift of some sort would come and bring a camel. And they would see her room or they would see how she had decorated her portion of the house and they would realize when they showed up with their gift that they had indeed brought the right gift. Well, when you and I come to heaven bearing the gift of prayer, we see the whole room full of the aroma of prayer. And we realize we brought the right present. This is what God loves. It makes heaven welcoming and inviting. When you know when you pray that you are bringing God the thing that he absolutely loves, his favorite thing, and that you're going to decorate his home with more prayer, it's very welcoming. It's very inviting. It's very beautiful. Can you imagine in your mind's eye walking into heaven with your present of prayer and looking around on the walls and seeing, look at all these answered prayers. Look at all these billions and billions and billions of answered prayers. I brought my prayer to the right spot. God wants this prayer, and he's going to do something about it. And then fourth, it turns your home into heaven. Now, it wasn't a big stretch to figure out how do you make this applicable to prayer. But as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the movie War Room, which is a great movie about prayer. Uh, if you talk to anybody in the first service, I completely butchered the movie. I killed off the main character who doesn't die in the movie, but I just, I just I completely forgot how it went. But my understanding now is that uh, in the movie, there's this woman named Miss Clara, and she's a prayer warrior. And uh, Elizabeth Jordan, who's played by Priscilla Shire, is a realtor who's trying to help sell Miss Clara's house. Now, I forgot, and I said Miss Clara died. She doesn't die. She moves in with her son. 
But now they're going to sell the house, and so Elizabeth Jordan, the realtor, is showing the house to this couple, Charles, and I don't remember his wife's name, and Charles is a retired pastor who's moving to the area to be closer to kids. And in the movie, there's this great scene where they're walking through the house, and uh, the realtor is explaining, okay, this room and that room and those sorts of things, and kind of the, the, the Charles wanders into this little closet. Now, the watcher of the movie knows that this is the place where Miss Clara did all her praying. And he walks into the room and he says, whoa, somebody's been praying in this room. And the realtor says, that's right, but how did you know? And it's this great line. Uh, Charles says, it's baked into the walls. It's this beautiful idea that when you and I pray, it does somehow turn our home into heaven. It connects our space or wherever you're praying with heaven. So much so that someone can walk into a room and go, this is the prayer room. This is the room where people have been praying in the church, the prayer garden, the prayer room, in your home. This place is connected to heaven. And so although this secular site, interiorsinfo.com, didn't realize how true they were, that it literally turned your home into a place that's connected to heaven. Because God decorates heaven with prayer, when we decorate our homes with prayer, our homes or our neighborhoods or our schools or our churches or our workplace are connected together. God is indeed a great interior designer. Now I need to tell you, at at the beginning of the sermon, I told you that I didn't have much use wrongly, for interior design, and I said it was in part because I used to be an engineer and that I was much more concerned with functionality and much more, considered with, uh, much more concerned with those sorts of things than with aesthetics or with beauty or that. But I also need to tell you that I've come to learn that the idea that interior design has nothing to do with function is also a misnomer. That anybody who's concerned not only about beauty, but also about function, should have space for an interior designer, someone who knows how to design a space. The function of God's design is also clear in this passage in verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, Now remember, we had an image of a censer up here. An angel is holding a censer, this is imagery. And in the censer are some of the prayers of God's people. The angel takes the censer, adds to the prayers that are there, fire from heaven, and hurls the censer to the ground. And what follows are earthquakes and rumblings and flashes of lightning and all sorts of powerful things. Now, what prayers are in that censer? It's not all prayer, but some of the prayers are put into that censer and then hurled to the ground. Well, remember that last week, uh, Pastor Mark took us through Uh, The first verse in Revelation 8, which talks about 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And he reminded us that this is the last 
time that heaven will be silent. And that from that point on, there is no more silence from heaven. In other words, Revelation 8.1 is sort of a moment of silence in honor of all of the times in the past when God had to be silent in response to our prayers. So what are those prayers that get hurled to the earth? They are the prayers that have come in the past, prayers for God to bring justice to this earth, prayers for God to do something about the sin, prayers for God to deal with wickedness, prayers for vindication for God's people, prayers for rescue, prayers for salvation, prayers for Jesus to come and to build his kingdom on this earth. All those prayers that have been offered for all those centuries and millennia, those prayers God was silent about them because he said, now is not the time. God is patient, not wanting any to perish, but those prayers are stored in heaven. God has decorated heaven with those prayers. Why? A very functional reason. Not just that it's beautiful, not just that it's a sweet aroma, because God still has to do something about those prayers. And those prayers are waiting to be answered. And so the angel takes all those prayers, not all prayer, but all the prayers that have been prayed for God's kingdom to come, for Jesus to return, for God to make things right, to do something about injustice in this world, and he hurls them, the angel hurls them to the earth, and this is what starts the rest of the book of Revelation. The judgments, the trumpets, the bowls, the return of Jesus, it is all kicked off by God answering prayer, which leads to a very powerful and important functional truth. Why does God decorate heaven with prayer? Because he is faithful and prayer always remains before God's face until he does something about it, which says something incredibly powerful. That when you and I, better yet, when a previous generation prayed and then passed on, those prayers are still swirling about in front of God. That right now, when you and I pray, God has two choices. To either answer or to leave it seated in front of his face until he does something about it. Which says, prayer lasts beyond us. That when God hurls these prayers to the ground, he's answering not only our prayers, but David's prayers and Moses' prayers and Peter's prayers and Hannah's prayers and Abraham's prayers. Everyone's prayer for God to come and do something about the injustice in this world. But it also says that all prayer stays before God until he does something about it. I think to myself about my dad, who died about eight years ago. This is a powerful truth to realize. Those prayers that he prayed that I didn't even know he was praying. That I would love Jesus all my life. That God would walk with me in difficult times. 
even after my dad is gone, those prayers remain in God's presence. That's powerful. Many of you have talked about or heard about the power of a praying grandparent. Even after that grandparent is gone, can you not feel the power of those prayers still in your life? That's not uh, your imagination. That's the truth of Revelation 8 is God has chosen to decorate heaven with prayer so that they will always be before his face so that when the generations who came before us who are no longer able to pray for us because their time here is gone, their prayers remain in God's presence. I think that's powerful. Now you may think to yourself, well, it certainly makes me wish I had grown up in a Christian family. It certainly makes me wish I had Christian parents or Christian grandparents. Fair enough. But remember this. There were people in this country who for generations had been praying that the gospel would go forward in this country. There were people praying that God's will would be done. There were people praying for peace. There were people praying for goodness. There were people praying that wickedness would not triumph in this country, and you are a beneficiary of those prayers. There were also people who before you sat in these seats and not even these seats, but when they used to be pews, and some people who sat not even in this building, but in a different building downtown, who were praying for Calvary Church in the future. Praying that all who come into Calvary Church would see Jesus, that those who are part of this ministry would be blessed, that those who participated in what was going on here would be holy and righteous and just and kind and loving. You have been prayed for. And even if you didn't have a believing parent or believing grandparents, Jesus himself prayed for you in John 17. Those prayers are in God's presence. And I just want to encourage you. There is nobody in this room who does not have some prayers with your name on them. Hovering in God's presence. Constantly a reminder to him to do something about this. Let me also say by way of encouragement. If you think about what could you possibly give as a beautiful gift this Christmas to small group members, to friends, to work colleagues. If you think about what is the thing I could give my children or grandchildren, what if this is my last Christmas with them? Far more valuable than money or advice or a family heirloom would be to pray for them. And to know that these prayers, perhaps even for unborn grandchildren or great-grandchildren, for friends that may move away and other things will go on in their life and you won't know what will happen, prayers that you pray today will stay in God's presence until he answers them now or does something about them in the future. There is no greater gift, no greater legacy you could give to another person than to pray for them. If you give them money, the money might go away. If you give them advice, they might forget about the advice. If you pass on a family heirloom, it might break. 
If you give them something at your workplace, if you give them their job, your job, they might lose it. But if you pray for them, those prayers will stay before God's face until he does something about them. I imagine showing up to heaven and looking on the walls and seeing, well, those are the prayers I prayed for my kids. Those are the prayers I prayed for Calvary Church. Those are the prayers that I prayed for friends, for neighbors, and to see some of them still not answered yet and to be able to go, I can't wait to see what God's going to do about those. I can't wait to see how God's going to answer those. And you may think, my friend is far from Jesus. Just pray for him. Just put those prayers in God's presence. And even if you pass on before those prayers are answered, they will remain before God's face until he does something about them. I find that powerful and encouraging. There's not only a reason for beauty in decorating heaven with prayer. There's a very practical, functional reason. God has promised he is faithful. He will not forget what we have prayed. Well, during COVID-19, lots of us, all of us, are spending more time in our living spaces than we ever imagined. Apartments, homes, senior living facilities, whatever it may be, all of us find ourselves spending more time there. And if you're like me, because you're spending so much time there, you've probably given some thought to, huh, we could probably redecorate. Or we could probably move this over here. Or we probably change or fix these things so that this room works better. Or we gotta do something about this thing that's broken. Or we gotta come up with some way to make this space more entertaining than it currently is. Let me encourage you, if you're thinking through how you might redecorate or redesign the living space that you're in, you and I should take a clue from the great interior designer of the universe. And that when you pry open the doors of heaven and you see what's going on, God as interior designer is not moving couches here and there. He's not painting blues and purples and all those kinds of things. He's not signing up for Netflix. He's not ordering the latest video game system to try to make the space better. He's decorated his house with prayer. It makes it beautiful. It makes it inviting. It fits his lifestyle. It makes it feel like heaven. And if you and I want to take a clue from the most perfect interior designer, you and I should decorate our living spaces with prayer. Get up earlier to pray. Pray for longer. Choose a space in your house that you're going to dedicate to prayer. Commit to praying for work or for loved ones or for those who don't know Jesus. Pray for the church in a new way. Decorate your home with prayer. You won't regret it. Prayer is powerful, it's beautiful, and it's the thing God uses to decorate his house. We should do the same.
Amen? Now, what do you think would be the proper way to close a sermon like this? Not with a song, but with prayer. So we're going to do something a little bit different. We've done it a couple times in the past, and I'm going to explain why. We're going to pray together, and in just a minute, I'm going to give you the instructions, and I'll tell us to go. Uh, What we're going to do is a style of prayer that we don't do as much here, but many of our brothers and sisters around the world pray in this style, and it's a good reminder uh, that there's something beautiful about how to pray this way. Some people call it uh, Pentecost prayer. Uh, We were reminded of it from a number of Korean families that were here, Uh, and so sometimes people call it Korean-style prayer, although it's much more broad than that. What we're going to do in just a minute, I'm going to ask that you stand, and even at home as well, if you are able, and we're all going to pray aloud at the same time different prayers. Now, immediately you may think, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. I get that. You're wearing a mask. I understand all of those things. But here's why we're doing it this way. Number one, I think to myself, well, I could just kind of close this in prayer. But that feels like that fills up one of the bowls in heaven just a tiny bit. And I think, well, if all of us prayed, that feels like that would be a better gift that would decorate heaven even more with that which God loves. The second reason is, is I want to give you a chance right now to put into practice what we're talking about, and I'm going to give you some advice about what to pray for in just a second, but to think through, okay, well, look, if I do nothing else with this sermon, at least at the end of the sermon, I put some prayers up in heaven that are going to stay before God's faith, because the great thing about faith, great thing about prayer is if you're not faithful tomorrow, that doesn't erase what you prayed today. And so any prayers you put into God's presence right now are going to stay there. And so I want to give all of you the chance to put this into practice before you leave and Satan tries to steal the seed out of your heart. The third reason is, I think all of us praying out loud gives a little more of the feel of what heaven feels like. That a room full of prayer. And so I want us to be able to experience that this morning. So we're going to try this. I realize it's a bit uncomfortable. If you don't do it, it won't work. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, here's what I would like you to pray for. Please don't pray out loud that the person sitting next to you would reform their ways. We don't want to do that. Here's what generally I think would be good to pray for. It's the third week of Advent, so it's joy. So you could pray that people would experience joy. Uh, You can pray Christmas, that people would experience or come to know Jesus. You can pray for Calvary Church. You can pray for the people who might sit in these seats after you next service. You can pray for the generation that will come 10 years from now or 20 years from now. You can thank God for people who prayed for you that you didn't even know about. You can pray for non-Christians that you know generally, again, not your neighbor, generally that you know that you want to have come to faith. You can pray generally for God to bless your children or your grandchildren. Does that make sense? Okay. So if you will, if you're able, would you please stand? Now, I can't start praying with you because my mic will overwhelm your prayer. So in just a second, I'll tell you to go and then you start praying. We'll close because I will start praying into the microphone and that will kind of alert you that our time of praying this way is done. Are you ready? Let's go to God's throne in prayer.
Father, we come into your throne room, into your house, bearing gifts. God, we have wanted to add to the decorations of heaven. God, we ask that these prayers that are offered in Jesus' name by the power of the Spirit would be indeed a sweet aroma. Lord, I know that many here today have prayed for future generations. God, have given you thanks for faithful generations that came before us. They've prayed for this church, for this country, for revival, for this world, for relief from this pandemic and from this plague. Lord God, I praise you that we can leave these in your presence. God, thank you for letting us fill up a bowl full of prayer just a little today. God, thank you that you hear our prayers. God, thank you that you've chosen to decorate heaven with our words. How can this be, Lord, that we live in a world that you created and yet you decorate heaven with our words? God, what a beautiful and blessed thing. Lord, thank you that you are faithful. And even though we will forget these prayers that were offered today, you won't. And God, when we return uh, finally, Lord, in glory, when we are with you forever, give us a vision to see just how faithful you are, that not one word fell to the ground, that not one prayer was ignored. What an amazing God you are. Accept these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.